This is a message that I'm going to deliver to you about a common human failing. Uh, and that is the desire by humanity to be a fruit inspector. The desire to judge other people. The desire to look at somebody and find the fault in that person. Even as we are filled with faults ourselves. Uh, and so I've entitled uh, this message, Motes, Beams, and Hypocrites. Because that's what Jesus basically referred to it. Motes, meaning uh, walk, walking around with a splinter, seeing someone with a splinter in their eye, and at the same time you have a beam in your eye, and yet you're, you have the ability to call them out uh, in hypocrisy. And so God is warning us that we can't live this way. And so Jesus speaks out to the church regarding this problem. Now remember, this is for the church. This is for the disciples of Christ. This is not for the world. Jesus is talking to us and talking about the problem of judging other people. And this is an active problem that can render a Christian useless to the kingdom of God, uh, useless to kingdom service. And so we need to be on guard about this. Now, Jesus has talked about such failure previously. He's talked about divided loyalties. He's talked about having fear uh, in your life that doesn't allow you to serve God. Uh, he talks about a love of possessions. But now he focuses on this very personal issue, the issue of judging other people. That can ruin, really, ruin a witness's uh, belief and a believer's witness. And so what we see is that there is a tremendous zeal in humanity for judging other people. It's just the way we are. And frankly, I know that, that it often occurs in church, even as we sit in church. How many times do we look out in the congregation and we'll see something, uh, whether it's a performance-related issue or even a sermon-related issue or someone coming in, uh, an address issue, and immediately our humanity begins to criticize. We begin to speak about those people. And God warns us. This is not how he wants us to live. This is not how we are to be uh, Christians. And so Jesus speaks to us as clearly as possible in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. And he says as follows, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Don't you love the way Jesus never holds back? He never holds back. There's such clarity in every statement that Jesus gives. You, you come away knowing precisely what the Lord's command is. And what I see here is this overarching warning to us about judging others, and then the issue of as we judge others, that same measure will be used to judge us. That's sobering to me. And so I want to talk about this today uh, because this is for us. 
This is for Christians. You are saved. You've given your heart to God. You're going to go to heaven. But now, even within that confine, we can still sin. We can be outside the will of God. We cannot be everything that God wants us to be. And he's warning us about this because it affects our Christian service. And so Jesus is warning us, really, not to be a hypocrite. And gossip clearly falls within the ambit of this issue. Uh, And so what does Jesus mean when he points up this hypocritical attitude towards others? He is certainly not telling us to to exercise uh, spiritual discernment. He's not saying that, and we're going to talk about spiritual discernment next week because that's clearly still very important to us, uh, that we exercise accurate judgment when we dispense spiritual truths. But rather, Jesus is pointing out the general human tendency to judge other people, to look for their faults, and to, and to take those faults without focusing on our own lives, blithely overlooking our own lives. Uh, and so this is the example of gossip in church life. Uh, and we find that many of us, many of us, and I put myself in the same category. This is a situation where I find myself falling at times. Uh, talking about people without having a full understanding of their background or the issues that they may have faced. We don't know what somebody has gone through. We don't know what it's like to walk in their shoes, what issues they've been through with their life, and yet we're so easy so free to talk about them and to judge them. This is damaging and hurtful, really, to individuals and damaging to the body of Christ in such a way. Now, all of this really leads up to one great point, and that is the need for love. You see, love conquers all. Love is not judgmental. Love is compassionate. Love reaches out in a way and elevates and affirms. And so we need to love in the way that Jesus loved. Uh, And the reason is that when we are filled with love, filled with the Spirit of God, we will find ourselves uninterested, really, in the specks of other people's lives and rather we'll be focusing on the shortcomings in our own eyes. And so in the first place, as I approach this sermon today about this need for us as individuals and as a church, it is the need to be aware of God's love and the fact that we have been loved by him. Never forget how much God loved you when he reached out and saved you, when you were utterly lost. You weren't a loving person. You weren't someone that deserved to be loved. You were filled with, ze- with, with sin, and you were utterly in opposition to God, but for the fact that you recognized you needed a Savior, and he reached out across eternity, and he saved you. Now think of that moment that he saved you, and think about the condition of your own life. And when you think about that condition of your own life that God would do that, how much more do we have to reach out to a world that is lost? Uh, he didn't wait for us until we became lovely, he waited for us at the moment that we recognized we were full of sin. Uh, And so Christ loved us when we were still sinners and we were unlovely by any definition that humanity would recognize. Look at Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, which are powerful in this statement. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly 
dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you don't remember anything else that I say today, I want you to remember this. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And that should be on your mind as you walk around and as a disciple of Christ. When you see things that make you want to gossip, make you want to make judgments, instead sit back, hold back, and think about the fact that Christ died for you while you were a sinner. What condition you were in when Jesus died for you to save you forever. Now, the Apostle John, uh, who was a very young man when he first came to Christ, he was in his 20s, learned a great deal from Jesus about what love really meant. Jesus named John and his brother James the sons of thunder. Uh, These were two powerful guys. Uh, they, They were very powerful, even in their denunciation of what they saw as ungodly. And so one time... As Jesus was coming back to Jerusalem on his final visit to Jerusalem, he passed through Samaria and wanted to reach out to the Samaritans and preach the gospel, and yet he was rejected. The Samaritans refused to have anything to do with him at that time. Well, John was so incensed, and his brother were so incensed uh, that, that they said, if you look at Luke chapter 9, verse 54 to 56, And I put myself in their category because how many times have I said the same thing? Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. Calling fire down to destroy them. I know you've felt that way at times. You've been with people that have irritated you. How many of us would say, Lord, it would be perfectly fine with me if a lightning bolt came right now and eliminated these people uh, because they're not godly. And I can say it because I am godly, you see? And And that's the nature of what Jesus is warning us about. Now, this was not Christian loving on their part. This was a clear case of John with a beam in his eye. He had a beam in his eye as he denunciated the Samaritans. But John, you see, would live a long life. John would live into his 90s. And as an old man, he would write the first epistle of John, the second epistle of John. And he would write that. He would soon learn over a lifetime what, what it meant to be with Jesus, what the love of Jesus was all about. And I want you to look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 where John talks about the love of God, what it means to have the love of God. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. There it is. It's that simple. God is love. And so I would say to you, if you find yourself not having a loving spirit, uh, being a judgmental person, being a fruit inspector, get on your knees and ask God to fill you with his spirit so that you can experience the love of God because as the love of God permeates your life, you will find that you will not be like this. It will change you forever. And that's what you need to do. This can be done in your prayer life in asking God to change you. Now, Jesus has warned us in the passage 
and this is important, and this is another significant part of this message this morning, that in the same measure that we judge others, that measure will be used against us. Now remember, this is for Christians. These are for people that are saved. These are for people that are going to heaven. So what is that all about? What does that all mean? This is very sobering words. Really, it applies as I think about it. And it applies to those people who have been born again by the Spirit of God. And so even though you've been born again by the Spirit of God, you still will sin. You still will have shortcomings. And God is warning you about that. Jesus is speaking here about that. Uh, And so clearly, in some way, we as Christians will still be subject to some kind of judgment. I want to tell you, just because you're saved doesn't mean you walk around with a get-out-of-jail-free card forever, okay? You're going to heaven. You're going to be with Christ forever. You're going to be with your family, but yet, during the rest of your course in this world, there are judgments. Even as we get to the other side, there will be judgments, and I'm going to talk about that right now. And so the best way to understand this is to drill down in Scripture, Because anything that we talk about from this pulpit has to be supported by Scripture. If it's not supported by Scripture, you can ignore it. My opinion is irrelevant. So the question is, what does Scripture say about it? Well, the Scriptures tell us that there are three kinds of judgment. Three kinds of judgment that we need to be aware of. Uh, And many of us are curiously lacking in what I call, quote, the fear of God. The fear of God. All right? Uh, and that, that's curiously lacking. And it's not taught in churches really today. What you hear today in a lot of cases is the kumbaya gospel, right? Get around a campfire, bring out the marshmallows. It's all good. We're all going to heaven. But I, yes, we're all going to heaven. But God is looking at our conduct now. He's watching us as we act now. And as we act now, we are subject to judgment. There's no question about it. That's why he doesn't want us to be a fruit inspector. So this passage applies to to the theological doctrine of judgment in which there are three separate types of judgment. First, there's the judgment that is final and enduring and separates man from God. You've already passed that threshold. You will never face that threshold because you've accepted Jesus Christ. That judgment doesn't apply to you. You're going to heaven. But to those who have not accepted Jesus Christ, there is a judgment on their lives. And so in that judgment, they will not go to heaven. They will be separated from God forever. This is clearly taught throughout all of Scripture. Now, there's a second judgment also taught in Scripture Uh, in which we are subject to as the children of God. And Paul articulated this very well in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And this was a judgment that was being visited on the Corinthian church. And it was a judgment that relates to how we approach the communion table of Christ. You see, this is a very serious moment in our life when we take communion. And Paul speaks so profoundly here where he says in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, verse 27, So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. 
Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Eat and drink judgment on themselves. What does it mean? Well, none of us is worthy. None of us is holy. None of us is righteous. So what is he talking about? He's talking about having the proper heart statement, the proper mind statement that as we take communion, we remember that Christ died for you. Your name was written on his hand, that but for that sacrifice, you would never get to be with God. And so we approach it with honor, with discernment, with thankfulness, and we reflect on our lives. What does that mean? It means that we can't keep going up and taking communion and having the same slipshod part of our life. We can't continue to live in a reckless way. And what do we say? Well, I got the get out of jail card. I'm good. He sees me. Yeah, he does see you, you see. He sees your heart. He sees how you live. And so if you're taking communion, as you take communion, you need to be mindful of this because there's a judgment. And what was that judgment in that church? Well, that judgment, there were people, all kinds of people in that church that were getting sick and were dying. Now, is it possible that God allowed that to take place? Well, I can tell you affirmatively, yes. God doesn't present evil. God doesn't make us sick, but God will take the protective hedge around us and lower the hedge, and then the judgment comes. This is a very serious thing. We trip so lightly through our responsibilities as Christians. Yes, you're saved. Yes, you're going to heaven, but still within the confines of that, there are still judgments in this world. And, and this is confirmed also, you see, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, when you see the mind of God... It says there, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. He disciplines us. He chastens us because he loves us, because he wants to perfect us, because he wants you to walk around in this world and to show the world what it means to be a son and daughter of God in such a way. And so God judges us in order to perfect us. And so I want you to reflect on that, even as you recklessly begin to judge other people or maybe gossip and slander in a reckless way, uh, that God is seeing you and he's watching you and he's judging you. Uh, and there are consequences to that. We are all under the watchful eye of God. Now, there's a third kind of judgment that's taught in Scripture, which is often referred to as the judgment of of rewards. And this applies to us. Every single one of you in this room, when you get to heaven, you will be subject to this. And here it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. <clears throat> and there it says in verses 12 to 14 uh, that and it re relates to living your life for Christ, putting your life, basing your life on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it says anyone who builds on this foundation, that is the foundation of Jesus Christ, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, 
and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Now, what does this mean? It means that when we get to the other side, there will become a moment when we will be with Christ and he'll run the videotape of your life and he will sit there with you and go over your life and how you acted and what you did and what you didn't do and, what, and anything that has been built with costly stones, gold and silver, meaning with righteousness upon the gospel of Christ, will be rewarded and anything else will be burned up and will be useless. And so what do we know about that? What's the purpose of this? Well, we don't know specifically, but we, ha we have some uh, information that we can glean from Scripture that in some way the Lord is going to reward how you lived your life with responsibility in heaven. It doesn't mean you're going to get a mansion on the ocean, all right, or a cottage back in the woods, all right? But what it means is in some ways, God is going to look to reward you with responsibility in the universe. He's going to give you a responsibility to direct the kingdom. I don't know how. I don't know the wherewithal of that. But that's really what it appears to be when you study Revelation and you study the other books in the Bible. And so there's the point. Be careful of how you live. Don't go through life recklessly. Don't think I've got the get-out-of-jail-free card. I can do whatever I want. No, Jesus died for you. He died for you, and God expects you to live in a holy and righteous way, and it becomes important. Now, <clears throat> as we consider these ideas that I've laid out before you, as Jesus has spoken about it, I want to refer to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer the great German theologian once said, and uh, he's a hero of mine. I really respect Bonhoeffer. You know that he opposed Hitler uh, in, a, in a mighty way, and he lost his life. He was hung uh, because he opposed Hitler. And he said the following on this very issue, and I have it on the board. By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace of which others are just as entitled to as we are. How about that? We blind ourselves to our own evil. Every time you judge somebody, you're blinding yourself about your own shortcomings, about your own failings. God doesn't want you to do that. That's the point. And, and when we do that, we deny the grace to other people who are entitled to that grace just as we are entitled to that grace. You think about it. Uh, and, and God has given you that grace. He surrounded you with that grace. And so even as you've made mistakes in your life, even as you've had shortcomings, God lifts you up and elevates you uh, and, and tells you that he loves you. Do we treat people in the same way? That's the question. Do we treat people in the same way? Are people going to be drawn to us? Are they going to be drawn to you because you're a professional critic? Or are they going to be drawn to you because they know when they see you, you're a loving, forgiving, affirming person? Listen, I've been around these kind of people my whole life. I know what it's like to be with critical people. There were people in my, my father's church who were always critical. Listen, I understood that they were saved, but yet they could not get that critical attitude out of their lives. It denied them a, a, a successful walk in the kingdom. People weren't drawn to them. Nobody's going to a church filled with critics. 
You understand that? Nobody's going to a church filled with critics. But instead, if you embrace the love of God and walk with the love of God and don't make judgments about people but lift them up and affirm them, then people will be drawn to you. They'll be attracted to you. They'll want to come to church with you. Your life will become a veritable poster for Jesus Christ. And so I have some thoughts for you here that I've put on the board about how to address this issue in your life, some specifics, and I hope it helps you. It helps me, uh, and probably we could call this how not to be a fruit inspector, all right? First, consider the nature of the thought and try to realize you're not perfect. That's a big deal. Realize the nature of the thought that's coming to your mind. Why are you critical of this person? What's the failing that you see? Why are you articulating this? And are you perfect? Are you perfect so that you can speak like this? And when you do that and you begin to pray about it, God will speak to your heart. He'll speak to your heart on this. Second, try to be self-critical. Ask yourselves hard questions to find out why you judge others. Lord, why do I do this? Why do I find myself judging people? Why do I do this, Father? And the question is, do you suffer from arrogance and insincerity? And you know, that was the nature of the Pharisees. You remember the Pharisee in the synagogue looking out uh, at the tax collector and making that tremendous prayer that Jesus mocked. Oh, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, adulterers, thieves, and yes, even that tax collector. Can you imagine being in God's house and making a prayer like that? But that's how people are, you see. The elevation of self, the refusal to look into our own hearts and recognize our own shortcomings. And so I ask you to, to ask God to give you insights into your own heart as to why you speak like that. Next, forgive them. Forgive them. Uh, what a wonderful word that is. Uh, that is the very foundational essence of Christianity. You should try to replace judgment in every way with forgiveness. Uh, this will help you to be put into a more loving relationship with other people. And pray. Pray that God gives you this spirit uh, so that you have the spirit of forgiveness, the spirit of reconciliation. Look, this is probably needed uh, more than anything else in the churches in America today. There are so many churches in America today that are outside of God's will because they've refused to ask for forgiveness. They refuse to come before the throne of God in submission and say, God, forgive us for how we act. Forgive us how we mistreated people. Lord, help us to be reconciled. And that can only be done on your knees and can only be done in prayer. Ask God to help you. And he will. Then place yourselves in the shoes of others. This is a big deal. Try walking in their shoes. Try seeing where they've come from. Try experiencing what they've experienced. And then make your judgments based on that. After you've walked a mile in their shoes. And when you do that, I will submit to you that you will find that you will be a far less critical person. Then set a goal for yourself to break this habit. 
Ask the Lord to assist you. You see, that's what you can do. You can say, God, I don't want to be this man or woman. I want to be more loving, Father, and I'm going to ask you to help me to do this. Lift me up to make me conscious of doing this. And at the same time, remember always to be compassionate. This trait breeds love and goodness. Jesus was always compassionate. He always reached out for the underdog. He always lifted up those who needed affirmation. He went to the lowest class of society because he was compassionate, because he had love in his heart. And so, church, that's what I would say to us today. This is a message about understanding the requirement of love, how God wants us to live, how God wants us to treat others, how God wants us to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ in every way. And so I would say to you today as you reflect on this message, you reflect on these words, reflect on these passages, ask God to touch your heart. This isn't easy. Some of us have spent a lifetime living like this. But make it today the first day of the rest of your life that you will not live this way any longer, that you will stop being a fruit inspector, that instead you will be the kind of person to embrace others in love, that you will lift them up, you will be compassionate, you will be considerate, you'll see where they walked, you'll know what they've experienced, you'll feel their pain, and you let them see how much you love them because you're filled with the love of Jesus Christ. Amen, church? All right, let's bow our heads as we ask the Lord to seal this message. Father, I ask you, Lord, to seal this message, to touch our hearts, Lord, this, this message resonates with us such, in such a great way as we see how Jesus lives. And when we see the words of Jesus, Father, we recognize it's from you. This is the message from God as it relates to us. And so, Lord, we do not want to be subject to judgment. We do not want to be people who are going to experience your judgment. But instead, Father, we want to show the world that we have your love in our heart. We want to reach out to a world and embrace a world with love. We want to show people that this is what separates us from the world. This is what makes us disciples of Christ. That's why he spoke this to the church, Lord. And so we bow in submission before your throne, Father. And we say, fill us, Father, fill us. Fill us with your love. Take these traits away from us and help us to walk each and every day for the rest of our life with you. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.